Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the book of Exodus once again. And we are in chapter 17. We're going to begin in a moment in verse 8. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. As you know, it was 20 years ago yesterday that our nation was attacked on 9-11. And it's hard for me to believe this, but we do have many in our church who were not alive to see it or were not old enough to understand it, the impact that this event had on our nation. But for me, the thing that I remember the most about 9-11 is how there was a single moment in which everyone, and I do mean everyone, came to understand that we were at war. And this realization happened in an instant. It would appear to me that on a spiritual level, that realization has not come to most Christians today. In the majority of our churches, there is what John Piper called a peacetime mentality. Listen to this statement. Most people show by their priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not in wartime. I believe that he is right. The average Christian does not seem to understand the reality of spiritual warfare. It's as if they are on a battleship thinking that it is a cruise ship. But inevitably, it always happens, there will be some kind of attack. And when it does, that person is awakened to the realization that we are at war. Now, this war is not a war between nations that you can point to on a map. It is a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. In our scripture this morning, Israel is going to be attacked as a nation for the very first time. Until now, they've had plenty of adversity, but they have not had to fight any battles. And it's kind of interesting, as long as they were slaves in Egypt, they never had to pick up a sword. They never had to shoot an arrow. It wasn't until after they were saved that they were attacked and they fought their very first battle in this valley of Rephidim. Now, in the same way, if you are a slave to sin, uh, the devil might well decide to leave you alone. But the moment you come out of slavery to sin, the battles begin. And listen, it is one battle after another. Sometimes these battles take different forms. Sometimes it comes in the form of persecution. Sometimes it's an unjust criticism. Sometimes it's a major unmet need in your life. Sometimes uh, it is a crisis situation. Some adversity God allows you to face. But these battles force us and teach us to rely upon God. Now, as we study this story about Israel's first battle, I believe there are some principles that we're going to see in the Word of God, some things that we need to learn in order for us to have victory in the valley. There are some things that you need and I need that we're going to see in our text this morning. First of all, you need the perspective that comes through prayer. 
You need the perspective that comes through prayer. Look at verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Amalek refers to the nation of Amalek. Why did they attack Israel? Well, it was unannounced. It was unprovoked. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, Moses tells us why they attacked. They attacked Israel because, quote, they did not fear God. That's it. That's the reason. They did it because it was just plain evil. That same chapter, it says that they not only attacked Israel, but it was a surprise attack and that they attacked them from behind. They attacked the stragglers. Do you understand that many of them would have been women and children? This attack was just as cowardly as what we saw in our nation 20 years ago. So how did Moses respond to this attack? Look at verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now, when you look at verse 9, these are not the words you want to hear right before a major battle. Go choose some men. That's kind of like saying, hmm, there's a big battle tomorrow. Maybe we ought to recruit some soldiers. I don't know. Maybe we ought to implement a draft. You know you're in trouble when it is the day before the battle and you don't even have an army. This is a crisis if ever there was one. So what does Moses do? He says to Joshua, his military commander, he says, you're going to go down to the field and you're going to fight and I'm going to go up to the hilltop. Now, there was a practical reason for this, but there was also a spiritual reason. There was a practical reason. You ask any military uh, strategist and they'll tell you that if you have the high ground, you have the advantage. If you have the high ground, you can see all of the enemy, all of his movements, where he's going, where he's coming from, what he's up to, how you need to respond to all of that. There was a practical reason for Moses to be up on that hill, but I believe there was a spiritual reason as well because it becomes painfully obvious to us as we read through this story that Moses is not just going up on that hill in order to see the battle. He's going up on that hill in order to pray. The story goes on to say that Moses stood on that hilltop with his hands lifted high. Do you remember back when we were in chapter 9 and Pharaoh actually asked Moses to pray for him? And the Bible says, yes, Moses prayed for Pharaoh. It says he lifted up his hands in prayer before the Lord. This was how Moses prayed. Did you know that 40 times in the book of Psalms it talks about the lifting up of hands in prayer? You say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. Paul said to Timothy, I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And please understand my point here is not about your outward posture. You can pray standing or sitting or kneeling. The point here is not whether your hands are lifted or not when you pray. The point is 
there is theological significance to what Moses is doing. This was spiritually significant because that hilltop represents intimacy and communion with God. It's that place where you get alone with God and there you are able to look down on your situation and your circumstances and you are able to see them from God's perspective. Whenever the Christian prays, he always stands on higher ground. He has the advantage over the enemy. Years ago, I saw a documentary about D-Day I'm kind of a a nerd who likes those war documentaries. And in this particular uh, documentary, it talked about D-Day towards the end of World War II. That day, if you don't know, when 156,000 American soldiers uh, took the shores of Normandy, turning the tide of the war. But one of the men interviewed in that documentary, he was in the infantry, and he talked about what it was like to come off of that U-boat and to look up and to see all of those German guns pointed his way. He saw how many they were. He saw how fortified they were. And this particular soldier in the documentary, he said, I looked up and I said to myself, there's no way we can win. I bet a lot of soldiers thought that same thing. In that same documentary, they also interviewed a pilot. He also was at Normandy. He was at the very same battle at the very same time, but he talked about what it was like to look down on that battle from above. And yes, he saw the German fortifications, but he also saw the enormous number of U-boats that were heading to the shore and the enormous number of soldiers that were, that were getting ready to storm those shores. And that man looking from above in this documentary, he said, I said to myself, there's no way we can lose. Two men fighting in the same battle at the same time. One man looked and said, there's no way we can win. The other man looked and said, there's no way we can lose. What's the difference? The difference was their perspective. Likewise, sometimes we fight battles in the Christian life, and in the heat of battle, we feel like we can't win, but then you get away. You get alone with God and you begin to call on Him. You begin to read His Word. You begin to hear Him speak. And all of a sudden your perspective changes and you're looking down at the battle from above and just like that pilot, you can see that God is in control. You can see that God is going to work all of this out for our good and for His glory. And you can see most of all our ultimate victory in Christ. You see, both Moses and Joshua were absolutely essential in this battle. If Moses prays, but Joshua doesn't fight, they're going to lose. But if Joshua fights and Moses doesn't pray, they're going to lose. Joshua had to fight in the valley, and Moses had to fight in prayer up on the hilltop. Listen. You may be fighting some battle in your life this morning, and you can fight like Joshua. And it won't matter one bit unless you pray like Moses. That's true because there's a perspective that you need in that battle that only comes through prayer. Now, there's something else that you need 
in that battle. You need the strength that comes through surrender. Did you know that in the spiritual life there is a strength that comes through surrender? Something amazing happened while Moses was on top of the hilltop praying. Look at verse 11. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. That Hebrew word prevailed means to be given strength. When Moses lifted up his hands in prayer, Israel was strengthened. Maybe at first Moses looked down, he saw that the battle was not going well. He saw that there was a very good chance Israel might lose that battle. And so perhaps Moses raised his hands, maybe he lifted up that staff that was mentioned in verse 9, and perhaps some of the soldiers fighting down there in the valley below, they looked up and they saw Moses. Maybe one of them said, look, look at Moses holding the staff of God in his hand. And all of a sudden they started to remember all of the signs and wonders that God had done through that staff. And they started to fight a little bit harder. But... There was more to it than that. That's not all that's going on here. When Moses raised his hands in prayer, yes, Israel was strengthened, but did you notice it also says when he lowered his hands, Amalek was strengthened. When you pray, yes, you receive strength, but do you realize when you don't? The opposite is true that your enemy is strengthened in that moment. Fortunately, Moses was discerning enough to look down, put two plus two together, and figure out what was going on. Moses and the men on the hilltop with him, they realized that this was not an accident. There was a connection between what they were doing on the hilltop and what was happening down there in the valley. And by the way, there's always a connection between the hilltop and the valley. He noticed that when his hands were lifted up, the battle turned in their favor, but when they were lowered, the battle turned against them. God was at work in all of this, and of course, God did not have to do it this way, but God chose to do it this way because God was teaching Israel a lesson. I said that Moses went to that hilltop to pray. There's also a sense in which this posture of Moses is a picture of surrender. We all understand this. God forbid it would happen to you, but if someone points a gun at you, no one has to tell you what to do. Your hands automatically go up in the air. We all understand that hands lifted high is a position of surrender before someone. Moses goes up on that hilltop and all the people can see his hands lifted up and surrender to God. This is a picture of consecration. This is a picture of holiness. This is a picture of total dependence upon God. And when the people saw Moses with his hands lifted up, it's as if God was saying, if you'll obey me, if you'll serve me, if you'll worship me and follow me and call upon me, if you will turn away from all of the idols and the false gods of your pagan neighbors, then I will cause you to win your battles. You may be outnumbered. You may be outgunned. You may have everything going against you. You may be 
untrained, unqualified, weak, weary, and worn, but if you will remain in that position of surrender, I will strengthen you, God is saying, and you will prevail. But God was also teaching them, if you turn from me, if you turn to worship other gods, if you fail to call upon me, I will strengthen your enemy, and you will lose every single time. I wonder if maybe some of us have yet to win some of the battles in life that we're fighting because we have yet to really go up to the hilltop, because we have yet to really adopt that position of surrender before God, that position of complete dependence upon God. There is a strength God supernaturally gives us that comes to us when we are in that place of absolute surrender before Him. You need that. There's something else that you need, and don't overlook this because this is so important. You need the support that comes from others. When you're fighting these battles in life, you really do need the support that comes from others. At this point, Moses knows what he needs to do, but there's a problem. He's 80 years old. How long is he going to be able to hold his hands up in the air? Now, that's not just true for Moses. That's true for anybody. I don't care how young you are, after a while, man, the blood begins to drain and the arms start to tremble and eventually the hands fall and Moses, poor Moses, he's holding them up as long as he can, but he can only do so much. So look at verse 12. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Here are what I believe are the unsung heroes of this story, Aaron and Hur. Now Joshua could not have been victorious without Moses, but Moses could not have been victorious without Aaron and Hur. These men had an idea. It's as if they said to one another, we can't wield a sword. We can't shoot an arrow. But there is something that we can do. I'll take Moses' one arm, and you take the other arm, and together we will lift up Moses. I love this part of the story. I love this so much, and the reason why I love it is because I know that there is not a pastor alive who can last five minutes in the ministry unless there are some errands and some hers by his side helping to lift him up. Many times, these are the folks who go completely unnoticed, but these are the folks who say, Pastor, we won't let you fall if our prayers have anything to do with it. Now, not everybody can be Joshua in this story. Not everybody can be Moses in this story, but everybody can be Aaron and her. Everybody can be that person who lifts up, not just the pastors, but that brother or that sister who is in the midst of some fierce battle in their lives, and they're weary, and they just can't go on by themselves anymore. I have a feeling when that battle was over, Moses praised God that he didn't have to stand on that hilltop by himself. Thank you, Lord, for putting those men up there with me. And just like Moses, you need the support that comes from others in the body of Christ. You need the encouragement 
of knowing that others are walking that path with you and fighting that battle beside you, you need to have them praying for you. Most of the time, you are not going to be victorious in battle if you insist on fighting it alone. You're not going to be both victorious and isolated. You need the support that comes from others. Some of you are in one of those battles right now, and and you need that perspective that comes through prayer. You need that strength that comes through surrender. You need the support that comes from others. But all of this is leading to the most important thing. You need the intervention that comes from God. Look at verse 13. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Did you know that this is the first time in all of the Bible where God told someone to write something down? This is it right here. God said, I want you to write this down so that everyone will remember this battle, what happened, and the fact that I did it. Joshua fought, Moses prayed, but God won the battle. And one day God tells them, Amalek will be blotted out entirely, but know this, I'm the one who will do it. I read this, can't help but wonder, What would have happened if Moses had not gone up on that hilltop? What if Aaron and Hur had not gone up with them to hold his arms up before the Lord in prayer? What if they had not done any of these things and yet Israel won the battle anyway? I think I know what would have happened. I think they would have worn themselves out patting themselves on the back, talking about their military prowess, I imagine Joshua would have received glory. I imagine Moses would have received glory. I imagine the soldiers would have received glory. But God doesn't share his glory with anyone. Look at verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said... Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Just as God said, for generations, Israel had to fight against Amalek. We read later on, King Saul fighting the Amalekites. We read about David fighting the Amalekites. This went on for generations. Well, here's the point for us. The point is... You never finish fighting. You just go from one battle to the next. As long as you are on this side of heaven, yes, it's one battle after another, and you're never going to reach that point where you can sit back and say, I'm done, I'm going to relax, I'm just going to wait until the Lord calls me home. Nope, there will be another battle. You will have your own Amalek that you have to fight And I have some bad news for you, but then I have some good news for you as well. The bad news is, you're no match for Amalek. The good news is, Amalek is no match for your God. 
That's why Moses did what he did in verse 15. The Bible says he built an altar and he gave it a name. And don't you love this? He called it the Lord is my banner or Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. A banner, of course, is a symbol of identification. For many years, you could go to any battlefield and you could look down and see the battles forming, the, 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 the armies forming. You could automatically know who was fighting, where were they from, who was their leader. And you could know that by looking at the large banner they would carry with them into battle, large enough to be seen for miles away. Those soldiers fought and knew as long as our battle is still flying, the battle has not been lost Moses said to the people, we've got our banner. The Lord is our banner. He's the one who leads us. He's the one who's going to fight for us. You see, Moses was not able to fight this battle. All he could do was call upon the Lord, and technically, someone named Joshua did the fighting in the battle for him. By the way, I think it's interesting. Joshua literally means the Lord saves. Joshua in the Hebrew is the same as Jesus in the Greek, or as we say it in English, his name is Jesus. Joshua and Jesus, if you didn't know, are literally the same name in different languages. How appropriate. How fitting. Because there's a battle that we could never win. A battle against sin. A battle against death. But 2,000 years ago, the Messiah, the Savior was born. His name means the Lord saves. Jesus he came and fought that battle for us. He came from heaven to earth and perfectly surrendered to the will of the Father and then lifted up and stretched out His arms to be nailed upon a cross for your sins and for mine. And just like Moses, we don't fight this battle. We can't fight this battle because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we can call upon the name of the one who fought and won that battle for us when He died and rose again from the grave. And that's why the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know Him, if He is your Savior and your Lord this morning, guess what? You have a banner. It is the banner of the cross. At the very end of the Revolutionary War, the British General Charles Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. And when he did, he claimed that a lack of supplies was his reason for surrendering. But when George Washington and the Continental Army went through the British camp, you know what they found? They found 144 cannons, 800 muskets, 120 barrels of gunpowder, 266,000 musket cartridges, 73,000 pounds of flour, 60,000 pounds of bread, 30,000 bushels of peas, 
and 1,250 gallons of liquor. That may have been their problem right there, by the way. But they had enough food and they had enough supplies that they could have held on for many months. I'm not a history major. I'm not claiming that that they would have eventually won that battle. But I am saying they did not surrender because of a lack of resources. They surrendered because of a lack of will to fight. Christian brother, Christian sister, in this life, there will be battles. And some of you perhaps are even now fighting the most difficult battles of your life. But I want you to know, God has given to you all of the resources in Christ that you need to win. And that is why, by God's grace, yes, you can have victory in every battle in life. Join me as we pray. Our Lord and our God, your word reminds us again and again that in between that moment of salvation and glory, there will be many battles. That it is through many tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet we thank you because you promised us you'd be with us in each and every one. We thank you because you are Jehovah Nisi. You are the Lord our banner. You are the one who goes before us. You are the one who fights for us. You are the one who gives us everything we need to be victorious in any battle that we face in life. And so for that we thank you. We ask you to forgive us for the many times in which we've tried to fight spiritual battles the wrong way. The many times we failed to go up to the hilltop of prayer. The many times we simply did not depend upon you. We simply did not surrender our lives completely before you. The many times we got isolated and did not surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, forgive us for the many times that we've done that. And would you help us to take everything we've read and everything we've learned this morning and apply it to our lives in whatever battle we may be facing right now. God, I pray for those who are here today who have never come to that point of surrender, that initial point of surrender in confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We've been reminded, God, that there are some battles that we simply cannot win because we've sinned. But we thank you that Jesus came and fought the greatest battle for us, the battle against sin and the battle against death. We thank you that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died upon the cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day. We thank you that having won that victory, Jesus offers to share that victory with whosoever will simply believe upon him and come to him for salvation. Father, I pray for those here today who have never taken that step, who've never been willing to acknowledge their sin, their inability to save themselves, who've never come to Christ and said, Jesus, forgive me, save me, I believe in you. I will follow you. Be Lord of my life today. 
God, I pray for some man, woman, boy, or girl in this room or somebody watching right now online that this would be that moment of surrender in their lives when they say, Jesus, I surrender all. And we thank you that you have promised that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So have your way in these next few moments. Show us all what you would have us to do in response to your word. And we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads still bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, I'm just curious how many of you would say, Pastor, just be praying for me because it just seems like here lately we all have battles. We go through many battles in life, but it just seems like I'm going through what may be the most difficult of battles. It seems like it's just especially fierce right now. Be praying for me. I won't point to you or call you out or embarrass you in any way, but anybody that would just by lifting up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me, because right now I'm in the midst of one of those especially fierce battles right now. Are there others? Praise the Lord. All right. I'm just curious, anybody here this morning that would say, I've never come to that point that you talked about, that point of surrender, that point of, of being saved, you know in your heart of hearts that that you need to come to Christ this morning and you need to say, Jesus, you died for me, you rose again. I'm going to stop trying to fight this battle on my own. You already fought it and you already won the victory. You died for me and you rose again. So right now I'm putting my trust in you. Forgive me, save me. I will follow you. Be Lord of my life today. Maybe some of you, you need to take that point. There's a word for that, by the way. We call that repentance. But maybe this morning you need to take that step, turning away from your sin and turning your life over to Christ. Anybody that would say, Pastor, that's me. I need to take that step honestly this morning. And again, I won't call you out or embarrass you in any way. But anybody would say, Pastor, pray for me because I need to take that step this morning. I need to be saved.